Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast for the next few weeks by going to 3cr.org.au. This program is brought to your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. If you listen to this program for the first time and you'd like it broadcast on your local community radio station, knock on the station manager's door, ask them if they're a member of the Community Radio Network. If they are, it's very simple to listen to the Anarchist World this week. If they're not, it's still relatively simple. So if you wonder what anarchy is all about, you know, so there was a little meeting last night and they were telling me how evil, evil anarchists were. And I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. This is interesting. But look, the word anarchos comes from the word, it's a Greek, it means without rulers. Simple concept. It's the concept that people are able to organise their own lives without rulers. What are the two things which give rulers power, which gives them the power to dictate other people's lives? Very simple. Inequalities in power, inequalities in wealth. So the anarchist struggle is based around the concept of devolving power and ensuring that everybody has access to society's wealth. Very simple concepts. Nothing, you know, nothing hard about it. Nothing complex. We're told everything is complex. It's not complex. It's very simple. How do you evolve power? The best way I know is through direct democratic methods. The people involved in the decision make that decision and elect or appoint delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional and national levels? And how do you break down inequalities in wealth? By holding wealth in common and creating a society which is based on the satisfaction of real, not manufactured human needs. So that's it's very simple. So, you know, if you uh, think these concepts are good concepts, well, you're an anarchist. Sorry to tell you, you're an anarchist. A-N-A-R-C-H-I-S-E. T, Anarchos, Society Without Rulers. Now, while everybody else kind of starts to wind down towards Christmas, we start to wind up. Now, we've got a lot of things happening in the next five months. Uh, 
and we're going to need your support to ensure that uh, all the things the Anarchist Institute is involved in. And see, the Anarchist Institute is a little bit different to most political organisations. We're not interested in taking over political or social or cultural movements. What we're interested in is actually promoting, assisting movements and you know, social and political movements which want to create a freer society, which want to create an egalitarian community. So we've been involved in a number of projects over the years. Now, one of the projects which is coming to fruition in the next uh, week or so is the Tanaminawe Mōbōhina Monument. Now, those of you who chance to find yourself in the Melbourne CBD over the next few weeks, pop down to the corner of Victorian Franklin Street, where we normally are near where we normally have the commemoration since 2004, and you'll see the monument is coming along in leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds. The monument, the official opening, which has been, uh, which will be, is being run by the Melbourne City Council, the official opening will be at 2pm on Sunday the 11th of September. That's right, Sunday the 11th of September. And each and every one of our listeners is invited to that official opening via the Tanaminawe Mōbōhina Commemoration Committee. Now, this project began in the dark days of the Howard era when the Murdoch media and the Howard government were promoting and supporting the wind shuttles of the world who are attempting to deny this country's history. And the battleground, once again, was Tasmania. The very place Tanaminawea Mōbōhina came from. And in 2004, as a direct reaction to the denials and outright lies which were being peddled by mainstream Australia in an attempt to water down the native title High Court judgment in 1992 that found that Indigenous Australians, both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, had rights to land in law because of their prior occupation of this land. And for 10 years they attempted to water down that judgment because the because the direct consequences of that judgment are not just native title, but the direct consequences of that judgment extend to treaty, extend to compensation, extend to the repatriation of resources which were stolen during the frontier wars. So radical elements in Melbourne, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, came together with the express idea of attempting to overturn the propaganda which was being peddled by the Murdoch media and the Howard government regarding the colonisation process. And if you listen to them, it's like a, you know, they just walked in and said, hello, thank you, it's all yours, goodbye. The Tanaminawe Mōbō Hina Commemoration Committee has been functioning since 2004 and every year on the 20th of January we have been holding a commemoration at the site the execution took place, at the time the execution took place, the 20th of January. 
And we had four main aims at that particular point in time. One, to bring this story to the public's attention because this was a classical story regarding the frontier wars. This is what wasn't just your little massacre, which was hidden out of sight, out of mind. These were people who were involved. There was Tanaminawe, Morbohina, Putirana, Planobina and Traganini. These were people who were involved in a resistance war regarding colonisation in this country, and the two men, Tanaminawe and Morbohina, paid the ultimate price. They were publicly executed. The first people publicly executed in the state of Victoria were not those responsible for the massacres, were two people from Tasmania who'd been involved in a, in a struggle in Tasmania and then when I brought across to Victoria in Victoria. And we believed and felt that this story was pivotal to the story of this country and to recognise the past and make amends for the past is the pathway to reconciliation. We wanted to hold a commemoration every year on the 20th of January, which we've held every year since 2004. We wanted this process to kick-start a stalled reconciliation process which was based on truth and justice, not charity and denial. And we wanted a significant public monument to be established at the execution site. These were our four main aims at that particular point in time. We've added a fifth aim, which I'll talk about later on. Not in this program, in the next few weeks. Now, the struggle to create a monument was a momentous struggle. It just didn't happen. It took political action, it took direct action, it took yours truly standing as Mayor for the City of uh, Melbourne in 2008 and 2012, and I can assure you I won't be standing as Mayor in 2016 because I don't need to because the monument's been uh, built, and raising this issue, forming political alliances and relying on the Greens members of the Melbourne City Council, especially Councillor Cathy Oak, and also another non, a non-Green member, Ca- Councillor Jackie Watts, to continue to raise this issue and for the Melbourne City Council two years ago to make the decision to allocate land at the execution site and to allocate funds to build a significant monument and the design of the monument was arrived at through an open competition. Now I'm very proud to be part of this movement and I'm very proud of the other people in the Tanamunua and Morbohina Commemoration Committee. Because the erection of this monument is not just another excuse to, you know, find another roost for pigeons in the Melbourne CBD. Because there are pivotal moments in a country's history which have ramifications that go far beyond that moment. When the Gurindji walked off Vestes and sat down on their lands 50 years ago, it was the precursor of the modern lands right movement and it was radical white Australians who brought the Gurindji message across to the people of Australia who incorporated the idea of land rights as a central plank of the Labor Party policy when they were elected in 1972. 
when Eddie Marbo with two uh, co-defendants was actually able to rest, wrestle after a 10-year battle with the Australian government that Indigenous Australians had rights to land in law which had not been extinguished by the colonisation process for many Indigenous Australians, not all, many. Again, this had wide ramifications across the country. And the establishment of this Tanaminimwe and Morbohina monument, the first major monument to the frontier wars in Australia, in a Melbourne, in a large Melbourne metropolis in the CBD, will kickstart this stalled reconciliation process which has been caught up in discussions regarding protocol, regarding, um, you know, um, referendums, you know, which really have no, neither here or there, impact. So... All those of you who listen to this program over the last 39 years, all those of you who have been involved in that struggle since 2014, this is your moment to reclaim and celebrate your victory because without your support, the Tanaminui and Morbohina Commemoration Committee would never have been in a position to achieve this milestone. So you've got a personal invitation from yours truly, Joe Toscano, to come along to the official opening, 2pm, Sunday, the 11th of September. And we fought to have it on a Sunday because initially the council wanted it on a Tuesday, but we wanted it on a Sunday because we wanted people to come along. So it's 2pm, Sunday, the 11th of September, at the Monument site, at the corner of Franklin, and Victoria Parade, Franklin Street and Victoria Parade. Are you wondering where that is? It's near the Melbourne City Baths. It's not far from the eight-hour monument. It's across the road from Melbourne's Trades Hall. So it's a relatively significant site. It's the site where we, we believe the execution took place. So come along, be part of these uh, celebrations, and don't forget to join us on the 20th of January at the monument site for the yearly commemorations which are organised by the Tanaminui and Morbohina Commemoration Committee. In the next few days we'll have more information regarding this, regarding a number of the websites that uh, I'm involved in, like the Anagus Institute website, the Tanaminui and Morbohina website, the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest website. So, But put it in your diary, bring your children. This is a historic moment. And let's not just leave it to the Melbourne City Council, but let's have all those people who've supported us to to call their friends, bring their friends, their families, because this is a, a place for reflection. This is a place for healing. This is a place for thinking about the future. Not only is there a monument, but there is a a large Indigenous garden, which is also part of that monument process. So uh, come along. Now, we've got a lot of other things kind of organised. As I said, it's a busy time. In early October, we've got Peter Norman Day. And you say, Peter Norman Day? Peter Norman Day? Well, Peter Norman Day is Human Rights Day in the United States. And you say, who's Peter Norman? Well, during Olympic year, you should know who Peter Norman was. In 1968... 
and two Afro-American athletes involved in the 200 metres race went out to collect their medals, Peter Norman, an Australian silver medalist, stood on that dais and supported their protest against racism by having a badge from the Project for Human Rights. Now, Peter Norman was punished severely for his whole life in this country. Coburg boy, born in Coburg, in Melbourne. In 1972, he was denied the right by the Australian Olympic Committee, and they will deny this, to race in Munich, although he had achieved uh, qualifying times 100 metres and 200 metres. And for the first time in Australian history, we had no runners. And from then on, he had a difficult life. And in the year 2000, when Sydney hosted the Sydney Olympics, and every minor Australian dignitary fed themselves at the Olympic trough. Nobody bothered. Nobody bothered to invite Peter Norman as an official guest of the Australian Olympic Committee. And when the United States track and field team found out that he had not been invited, they invited him as their personal guest to Sydney. And his support was valued so highly by the athletes involved in that protest, they came to his funeral a number of years ago here in Coburg. And that day is marked as Human Rights Day by the Track and Field Association of the United States of America. And we'll be holding another Peter Norman commemoration celebration on that day in early October here in Melbourne, in Human Rights Square, which is normally called City Square. But after the eviction of the uh, Occupy Melbourne protesters in 2000, I think it was 2011, we decided to call it Human Rights Square. So we'll speak more about that. Then we are in the process of organising a public meeting for candidates and the people of Ballarat for the uh, local council elections because, as you've heard on this program over and over again, never, never since 1855 has the Eureka flag been flown on the main flagpole on the Ballarat Town Hall. And the excuse we get is it's not an official Australian flag. And for the last 12 years, the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations, which again is another Anarchist Institute initiative, has been agitating for this to occur. And as there are council elections coming up in October, we thought it was appropriate that we see of all those who are standing for councillors, how many will bother to come to the meeting, but more importantly of those who come to the meeting, how many support the idea that the Eureka flag should be flown on the main flagpole on the Ballarat Town Hall on the 3rd of December every year. And people wonder, wonder 
why it's so difficult. So we'll keep you informed about that. There'll be a meeting sometime in uh, most likely late October or middle of October. And then we have the Francesco Fantine Memorial Gathering. usually on the uh, second Sunday in uh, November at Murchison to pay our respect to Francesco Fantine, an Italian anarchist who had immigrated to Australia in, 18, in 1924 who was murdered at Camp Love Day in South Australia because of his anarchism. He was interned with Italian fascists who eventually beat humiliated and murdered him. He's buried at the Murchison Cemetery in a special uh, ossuary uh, which actually reclaimed the bodies of all Italians who died in internment, whether they were civilians, whether they were prisoners of war, whether they were fascist or in Francesca's case an anarchist. So here he is lying in state with his tormentors. So we discovered that he was buried here. He had his own individual coffin about three or four years ago and for the last four years we have been going up to Murchison to pay our respects. On the day, the ostry is open. So, And then we've got, the obviously, the Eureka Rebellion celebrations which are held on the 3rd of December every year which are held by the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebrations Committee, again an Anarchist Institute initiative. And once again, we encourage you to take the day off the 3rd of December. This is your day. Forget about the Queen's birthday. Forget about the religious holidays. Forget about the days which glorify war. But join us on the 3rd of December. Just to remind you that nominations close on the 20th of November for Eureka Australia Day medals. And for the last seven years, we have been in the process of choosing six Australians or residents or people living in Australia or born in this country or who you know lived in this country who have made a significant contribution or a contribution to human rights, a contribution to radical change in this country. We've had many people receive the Eureka Australia Day Medal and we are looking for those people, those people like Peter Norman who've been ignored, marginalised, ostracised because of their radical stance who are now vindicated as society changes and takes on those very ideas for which they paid such a high price for. So if you know somebody... Send us in writing or email us a paragraph about what they've done and a contact email or address where we can actually um, contact them because this is an important... The Eureka Australia Day Medal is one way of recognising those people who make a contribution who will never be recognised in the official Invasion Day and Queen's Birthday Honours list, not that you'd want to be recognised in that list... And the medals are actually given out at Bakery Hill on the morning of the 3rd of December. So we'll have more. But if you want to nominate somebody, now is the time. We had, haven't had enough nominations. We're looking for more nominations. We're encouraging you to nominate people. So I think it's important that uh, 
we nominate those people who've made that, walked that extra mile, who've made that effort, who've paid a great personal cost but have never been acknowledged, let alone honoured. And obviously there's lots of other bits and pieces. We had the uh, the Rent Collective do on uh, Sunday at Docklands, which was very successful. As I said before, we need more West Papuan uh, Rent Collective members in order to keep the West Papuan office going. Again, this was another Anarchist Marriage Institute initiative and continues. And, the, and it was a very simple concept. And it just shows you how we get involved in things. Very simple thing. The idea is to raise the rent to pay for a decent office for the West Papua Independence Movement to run their campaign, not just in this country but around the world in terms of recognition for West Papua Independence. Very simple concept. We raise the money for the rent. That's the West Papua Rent Collective. We don't get a tax deduction. We pay the rent. They run the office. We don't tell them how to run the office. We don't tell them about their campaigns. Our only function is to pay the rent. And it's been an exceptionally success- successful initiative, which is now in its over two and a half years old. We now see the West Papua Independence Movement being recognised by the Melanesian Spearhead Group. And now they are in the process of attempting to have the, the question of West Papua placed on the United Nations Decolonisation um, Committee. And they will have success. And this office has been pivotal, pivotal in their campaigns. And it is supported by ordinary people in this country, pensioners, elderly people, young people, workers, unemployed, who are willing to donate $1 a day to the Rent Collective. So if you want to be part of this great initiative, and we need another, at least another six members in the next two to three weeks, Give me a call on 0439 395 489. I do answer calls within 24 hours. I can't promise I'll do it straight away because I'm doing lots of things, as you all know. 0439 395 489 or email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. And another initiative, public interest before corporate interest. Now, there's the thing about change is that you use every legal means possible. Every every legal means possible to institute change and carry out that change, that's, that's the issue. Now, public interest before corporate interest was established as a direct reaction to an invitation for me to stand two years ago in the electorate of Frankston in the Victorian state election. And at the end of that process, I was asked, what's next? And I said, what do you mean, what's next? And obviously there was enthusiasm to create a new political party based on the concept that public interest should always be put forward before corporate interest, which is something we always talk about on this program. So public interest before corporate interest is in the process of gaining new members so that it can register as a political party for the next state election in Victoria in two years' time and for the next federal election in three years' time or earlier. We need, th- we need 550 members on the electoral roll. So if you want to make a difference, you want to make a difference, and you are currently on the electoral roll, why don't you join public interest before corporate interest? Go to the website, pipsy.net, download the application form, have a look at it, you agree? 
join up. If you don't agree, fine. If you're not in the electoral roll, it doesn't matter. We accept members who are on the electoral roll, but who are not. But it's those on the electoral roll are those that give us the opportunity to register as a political party. Why a political party? It's another mechanism by which to get ideas across. Another mechanism. You can go to the Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, have a look at the Facebook page, and you can also go to my own personal Facebook page. Yes, I've finally been dragged into the 21st century. I do have a personal Facebook page, which I'm going to use for political activities, and there'll be more and more as you... Everything that we talk about in the program will go on this personal Facebook page, as well as the Annex Institute Facebook page, and... It's called Toscano for the Public. That's number four, the public. Toscano, number four, the public. Have a look at it. You want to be my friend? Fine. I don't particularly care one way or another because the only real friends we have are those that are flesh and blood that we actually stand side by side with doing activities. It's very easy to click a button. It's a little bit harder to actually get involved in issues. Now, if you are down south, you live in the south of Melbourne and uh, you want to work with the Frankston branch, whether you're a member or not. You don't have to be a member to work with them. Uh, They are going to be involved in a number of actions over the next three months at the Bayside, or the Frankston Bayside Shopping Centre. And they'll be outside Shop G3 at 3 Station Street, Frankston Mall. Shop G3, 3 Station Street outside in the Frankston Mall. Now, They're outside one of those large mobile company phone companies. Now, I'm not going to give them advertising. It's not the one that was privatised by the Labor government 20 years ago. It's not the one that's owned by Super uh, Singapore Superannuance, but it's one of the smaller companies, and uh, they kind of got the V for victory sign. So it's uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., starting Thursday the 18th of August and every Thursday for the next three months at Frankston Mall, Shop G3, which belongs to one of those... uh, Outside Shop G3, which belongs to one of those mobile companies, starting with a V, 3 Station Street, Frankston Mall, and after 1pm they'll be adjourning for discussion and coffee. So... If you're interested in putting public interest before corporate interest, interested in supporting their work, interested in joining, go down and have a chat to them. I mean, this is hard work. It is very hard work trying to engage people, you know, in the public arena regarding what are important issues. Okay, let's move on. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. A few interesting websites, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I.net, Anarchist, AnarchistMedia.org, AnarchistMedia.org. Uh, you can go to the Facebook page, uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. That's it. That's the number four. You can ring us on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489, and you can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Let's move on. 
It's taken half the program just to talk about the things that are going to happen in the next uh, few months. So don't ring me and tell me nothing is happening. Nothing is happening because you're not interested in getting involved in something. Lots of things happening all over the country. And the key is get out of that chair, open the door, walk down the road, get involved with real people doing real things. Okay, let's move on. Bit some a bit more boring economic stuff. Now, Parliament, I think, is going to be, you know, going to start at the end of August. And already the shenanigans are starting. Now, Mr Turnbull has got a major problem. And it's not the anarchist world this week. And it's not me or it's not you. And it's not those rabbit, you know, chest-beating leftists. His major problem is his own political party. His major problem looks at him every day across the floor of the party room when the Liberal National Party senators and House of Representative members get together in an effort to determine some type of policy. That's his major problem. It's not the crossbenchers. It's not the Greens, it's not the Labor Party, it's not the two independents in the House of Reps, and they're the only independents in the whole of Parliament. That's Andrew Walkie from Hobart and Kathy McGowan from Shepherd. The rest of the people in Parliament currently are members of political parties. It's his own party room, which sabotages every initiative he will like to make and every time he opens his mouth he has had to have, get approval from the conservative reactionary elements of the Liberal National Party because the issue isn't Mr Turnbull having a majority in the House the issue is how many of the members of the Liberal National Party are willing to cross the floor on various issues to sabotage the Turnbull-led government. And don't forget, don't forget that sabotage is the key word that we need to remember when we look at Turnbull and his cohorts. This is a disunited party. Now, Mr Turnbull has already been greatly influenced by the conservative reactionary rump of his party because he knows he can do nothing without them. He'll be opening his mouth in the next 24 hours and he'll be telling us about his great plan to make savings, his great plan to squeeze the last drop of blood from Social Security beneficiaries and the elderly his last plan to ensure that working people in this country continue, many of them continue to be, to be employed in poorly paid, casualised work. He's got the boots out. And those boots are meant for you, your family and your friends. If you're a member of the corporate world, if you're a member of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, 
and I don't think you're listening to the anarchist world this week. If you're a member of a large corporation, if you're on a corporate board, if you're a CEO or an executive, picking up your $1 million a month or $1 million a day or whatever it is, you don't have to worry about the Turnbull-led government. No worries whatsoever because it's business as usual as far as the corporate sector is concerned. I'll give you a simple example. Now, yesterday I was crying. That's right, I had tears, tears. I mean, I can imagine streaming down my face when I heard that BHB Billiton had made an $8 billion loss. I was distraught. And then I listened a bit closely because they actually haven't made an $8 billion loss. They've actually made a $1.5 billion profit. Not a big profit, $1.5 billion profit. Their loss was engineered through them downwriting the value of some of their assets so that they wouldn't actually have to pay much tax. A simple thing. We saw the National Australia Bank do it a few weeks, a few, uh, last week, and the list goes on and on. So although you're still making a profit, what you do is you downright the value of your assets. You say they're not worth as much if you, if you put them on the market. And hey, bingo, you don't have a tax problem. Could you imagine if you tried the same trick with the Australian tax office? You walked in and you said, look, uh, I've, down, I've written down the value of my home or of my stamp collection or of the, uh, you know, my clothes. And although I made a profit this year, I don't need to pay taxes. <laughs> you try it and see what happens to you. And I can assure you it's not going to be very pleasant. But they get away with it. And why do they get away with it? It's simple. It's simple. Because Parliament never looks, never looks at legislation to rein in the the benefits they enjoy. And you can't blame Parliament for doing it because it's incredible how many Australians, you know, say, well, you know, it's the banks, they need to make a profit. If they don't make a profit, we don't have a stable banking system. It's crazy. Think about it. Think about how crazy things are. Think about how crazy things are. We've got qualitative easing when a government provides money to the private banks to lend out to businesses and individuals in order to kick-start the economy. Now, instead of having a middleman or a middlewoman like the privately owned banks, and that's what they are, they're privately owned banks. They're, they may not be owned by individuals, but they're actually owned by you know, their, their shareholders. Privately owned banks. And remember, if you're a shareholder, for every, dollar you, well, for every share you own, you have a vote. So obviously they're owned by their majority shareholders, and many of these are institutions, right? So instead of giving this money, this largesse to the privately owned banks, why do governments give it directly to people? We saw it during the uh, global financial crisis when everybody received, what, $1,600 in their bank account. Bingo! To try to kick-start the economy and try to stop the uh, us going the, down the financial googler. I mean, yesterday I was listening to the stock market report. I don't have any shares, you can relax. Not even in the minimal superannuation I have. No shares, no stocks, no bonds. I can give you 100% guarantee. And I heard that on the Australian Stock Exchange there was a $5 billion. $5 billion, okay? 
And I thought to myself, now we've been pushing the concept of a 1% stock market turnover tax now for over a decade. We've been pushing it as a mechanism of making the 1% pay 1%. Very simple concept. Now you would raise $50 million yesterday to go into the to go into the Treasury. And over a year, you would raise between 15 and $18 billion, which would solve many of the issues which confront the federal government today by the introduction of just one simple tax, a 1% turnover tax on the stock market. I mean, what other business can you get involved in when you make losses on the stock market, you can actually claim your losses. You can offset your losses as a tax deduction. Just extraordinary. It really is. But it's all good. It's all good. We all believe in it. Whatever is good for the 15% of Australians who are part of the investment class is good for the rest of us, we're told, consistently. Day in and day out, we are told the same boring story. So... If somehow <coughs> you think the problems we so, we face it <coughs> oh, we're coughing now we face as a community are due to all those bludgers receiving two hundred and thirty five dollars a week on new start allowances and all those bludgers you know with so called Mediterranean backs how racist can you get? who are actually receiving uh, disability support pensions, or all those elderly Australians who didn't actually make enough money during their lifetime to have a superannuation nest egg. They couldn't actually put the money in the superannuation fund to, to legally uh, diminish their tax uh, responsibilities to the rest of the community, almost none. You know, you're one of those bludgers on the bloody old age pension, which is what many Australians believe, 30, at least 30% of Australians believe is my opinion. You know, they're the problem. Get rid of them. You don't have a problem, do you? Well, the problem is is not that. It's not a problem about expenditure. It's about revenue. It's about the type of revenue. It's the type of taxation system. It's about who, who is actually asked or forced to put their hands in their pocket and throw the loose change on the table. That's the problem. Because those with the most are never asked to put their hands in the pockets. I mean, you've got the classical case, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it again to the day I die, when Mr Murdoch receives an $886 million tax refund in 2013, and when the Federal Treasurer, who's now the ambassador of the United States of America, asks for a comment, he says, oh, uh, no comment, no comment, nothing. When the Panama Papers were released, Panama Papers, you ask yourself, remember how it's, how it's wonderful, the way it works in this country? We're told we've got a free media. You release information, information is released, it becomes a headline for one day and then you forget about it. Just extraordinary, isn't it? It's always a headline. Two weeks ago it was about the atrocities that are occurring in youth detention centres in the Northern Territory. Last week... Well, they can, you know, you know, it, it's this story and that story and this story and that story, but nothing ever seems to be done about it. For example, look at this little political struggle that's going on in Melbourne, in Bendigo Street, in Collingwood, regarding homelessness. 
Now, what we are seeing in Melbourne today, an increasing number of people who are homeless, as property values escalate through the roof, where they've got no actual correlation to their real value because of uh, pressures which are placed on the housing market through investors who now buy at least 45% of every house which is sold in this country or you know, in the state of Victoria, you know, pushing up prices, we have homelessness increasing as rents increase and, and because there's no public housing stock, we've got some you know, activists who are homeless, part of the Homeless Persons Union, who occupy a few homes which are owned by the Victorian state government in Bendigo Street, in Collingwood, and have been holding, holding their nerve for the last few months while they've been occupying these homes and raising the point about homelessness in this, in this in the state of Victoria, in this country, and that homelessness is a political problem. And if you want to get rid of homelessness, you need a political solution. You see all the guns turned on them because somehow their occupation of a few empty homes owned by the Victorian state government, not owned privately, but by the Victorian state government, to highlight the fact that these homes had been left empty for 18 months. We now have crocodile tears about how, you know, the Salvation Army should be running these homes. And I thought, what? Excuse me? Who? What? Salvation Army? See, that's the problem, isn't it? In the past, we had a Ministry of Housing which provided housing not just for emergency cases, which is all they do today, but we had a Ministry of Housing which provided housing for people who would never be able to break into the privately owned housing market, who needed some stability in their lives, and the government ran the Ministry of Housing. And what do we have now? We have both Labor and Liberal governments divesting themselves of their responsibility to the citizens of this, you know, of states around this country, by privatising public housing, by calling it social housing, by giving organisations, both religiously based and non-religiously based charities, the power to run these homes for a profit for these charities and not having the same oversights that occur in, in, a, in a home that's run, you know, that's owned and run by the, by the state. So we have the state running a mile away from its responsibility to its citizens while it collects, you know, huge amounts of sales tax on every home that's sold. And as the median price of many homes in Victoria, especially in Melbourne, is over a million dollars. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Every time a home is sold, another sixty or 70000 into the coffers of the state government. And what do they do with this? They try to destroy the public housing system. They outsource their responsibilities. Well, it's outsourcing our responsibilities as citizens to private companies in, in Nauru and Manus Island or outsourcing our responsibility, you know, as a state or as a country to our citizens and residents by outsourcing, you know, the social security system to privately run organisations or outsourcing 
various elements of the public hospital system or local councils being forced to outsource you know the the services they they theoretically provide for people so we no longer have governments actually governing all they're doing is outsourcing their responsibility to their ratepayers or their citizens to a private organisation whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders. So it doesn't matter how many (coughs) negative reports you hear about Wilson Security at Nauru or Manus Island. It doesn't really matter, does it? Or how many negative reports you hear about privately run prisons whether it's in the Northern Territory or Victoria or New South Wales. It doesn't matter. It's yesterday's fish and chips wrapper. It doesn't matter. That's the dilemma we face every day because there is no mechanism, no mechanism via which things can be changed. And that creates a dangerous situation. Because people become disillusioned. They become disillusioned with the country's institutions. They become disillusioned with the political process. They become disillusioned with parliamentary elections. 9% of Australians who are on the electoral roll didn't even bother to vote at the last federal election. 9%, 1 in 11. And when you add the people who should be on the electoral roll who are not on the electoral roll and people who consciously voted in form, you're looking at about 1 in 5 Australians who have given, given the finger to the last federal election because they honestly believe that nothing's going to change for them. Now, whether you agree or disagree with that thing, that is the reality. And when that reality becomes a major issue, people turn to political subcultures and groups and organisations and political parties which promote the idea of a strong leader being able to resolve their problems which point the finger at the other, the person of a different religious faith, a different colour, a different language, wears different clothes. They're the problem. You get rid of the other, the final solution, there'll never be any more problems, will there? Well, obviously, the problem isn't the other, as we all know. The problem is the fact that power and wealth is concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. And nothing highlights this more than the fact that Forty years ago, when the Labor government was dismissed on the 11th of uh, November, 1975, one-third of every dollar that was invested, one-third of the profit went to the investor and two-thirds went to the person whose Labor created that profit. In 2016... One third of the profit generated by an investment dollar goes to the worker, the person whose labour creates that profit, and two thirds goes to the investor. And that's the critical difference. The world is topsy-turvy because governments, whether at the local, state or federal level, are no longer responsible to the people they represent. 
their major responsibility seems to be ensuring that those who have the most continue continue to accumulate wealth at the expense of the rest of the community. And if there are issues regarding revenue and services, it's the services which continually come second, which leads to an increase of social issues, an increase of increasing disillusionment, marginalisation, ostracisation, violence. Have you ever wondered why we find ourselves in such a difficult situation, both as individuals and as communities, that an increasing number of Australians are finding this isn't the promised land, this isn't the land of opportunity, this isn't the land of a fair go, this is corporate Australia, owned lock, stock and barrel by people who have only one responsibility to create ever-increasing power and wealth for their major shareholders, irrespective of the environment, irrespective of the national interest, irrespective of individual of the individual, irrespective of us as a, a collective being. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's program. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. The Tunner Minaway and Moor Borhina commemoration site, go to tunnermall.org, tunner, T-U-N-N-E-R, mall.org. You can, uh, this program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. This program has brought to you courtesy of the Community Radio Network a network of independent, community-owned radio stations across the country. If you're listening to this program for the first time and there is a local community radio station in your neck of the woods, knock on the station manager's door, ask them to uh, broadcast the Anarchist World this week. If your local community radio station is not a member of the community radio network, we can still broadcast the Anarchist World this week. We can send you the Anarchist World this week. And remember... You can think about it, you can fantasise about it, but unless you get up, turn off the radio, open the door, walk down the street and start becoming involved in activities, nothing will ever change. Nothing will ever change. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. That phone number, 0439 395 489. That website, anarchismedia.org. That address, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday, 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.